lot of a lot of greeting here. A lot of people didn't make it to church in May, so you're having to make up for that and say say hello to everybody in June. That's right, you and me, and nobody else knows that we were the only ones. So, hey, I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together. As a church family, whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning. We also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also pour out love by serving others. Uh, it's a fun time in the life of the church. As we come into June, we, we often bring on what we call summer staff. These are generally college students who come and work with us for the summer, and we try not to uh, mess up their lives too badly, and they usually make us a much better place. So I want to introduce uh, four of them. Uh, up here, yes, on the stage, we have Sadie and Casey right there. They're working with youth this summer. Wave again. Yeah, yeah. And then, back, thank you for staying, gentlemen. Back here we have Kennedy and Connor who are working with worship. So good to have you all. And uh, the, the last personnel note is right back here we've got Gray Seegers and then his wife, uh, Annika. You, don't, you can stand up if you want, Annika. You don't have to, though. We only, yeah, we only hired Gray. So. so Gray is joining us. He started uh, June 1. He joins us permanently. He is going to work with missions at the church and then give oversight to college students as well. So be sure to meet Gray and Annika and baby Seegers do... July 12th. Wonderful. So not a lot of change in their life, so we're very glad to have them, and uh, that, that's all good. Gray just graduated uh, from seminary, and they just relocated like last week from Princeton, New Jersey here, so good to have them, and, uh, and we look forward to uh, life together. Should be good. So he's two days in, so ask him all the hard questions you have about theology. And he'll, uh, he's going to be uh, moving towards being ordained as a pastor, at which point you'll have, you'll have three pastors. Uh, and then um, and we got a fourth one in the pipeline, working on four. So there we go. All right, maybe we'll do the sermon now. So have you ever had one of those times in life where you look back and you think, how did I get through that? Or, or how did we get through that? In fact, I know you, uh, you ask that question. You ask it most weeks when the sermon is over. You say, man, how did we get through that? You, you may remember uh, about this time last year, if you've been part of the church that long, uh, this time last year I was on a three-week leave because my, at the time, uh, four-month-old daughter had just had heart surgery. She was born without the middle wall in her heart, and so they had to go in and, and put the middle wall in. And, and sometime after that, months after that, I was just looking through pictures and letters we had received during that period of time. And I asked the question for the first time, how did we get through that? It had not occurred to me up until that point, because you're just on go. But then in retrospect, looking back, how did we get through that? Or it may be what you're in the midst of right now. You're in the midst of something right now. It could be a tough situation. It could be a struggle in your friendship or a struggle in a marriage. It could be a lot of uncertainty. And the question at the front of your mind is, will we get through this? 
will I get through this? And if so, how? How will I get through this? How will we get through this? And from the Christian perspective, for a Christian, the primary answer to that question is the Holy Spirit. So how will you get through this, or how did you get through this, or how will you get through this? For a Christian, the primary answer is the Holy Spirit. So I want to explain how I got to that. We're in this series looking at God, the Holy Spirit. Christians believe that God is a trinity. God is a tri-unity. That's where we get the word trinity. God is both three in person and one in essence. So how God can be both three and one is a wondrous mystery, that God is more complex, God is more wondrous than my mind can fully comprehend. Now, in fact, that's the kind of God I want to worship. I want to worship a God who can be known but is not fully understandable. If I could get my mind all the way around God, that would not be much of a God worth worshiping. So Christians worship this wondrous God who is a trinity. He exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's all the same God, but three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Generally, folks have a pretty good sense of what God the Father does, like He created the world, He sustains the world. Pretty good sense of God the Son, like He came to earth as Jesus, He lived, died, resurrected so that we could be reconciled to God. But what about God the Holy Spirit? Like, what does God the Holy Spirit do? Usually there's a pretty big question mark there, whether for uh, Christians or folks exploring the Christian faith, what does the Holy Spirit do? So we're trying to fill in the question mark a little bit. So today I want to look at this. The Holy Spirit helps Jesus' followers through difficult times. The Holy Spirit helps Jesus' followers through difficult times. You remember a few weeks back, Holly taught on how the Holy Spirit gives us gifts that we might serve others. And then Dr. Bud taught on how the Holy Spirit convicts us, doesn't condemn us, but convicts us. Last week, I taught on how the Holy Spirit empowers the supernatural. And so today we want to look at how the Holy Spirit helps Jesus' followers through difficult times based on Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 28, what Kendall read for us earlier. And if you're really good, I'll talk about John 14 at the very end. But what the, the, the view of the Bible is that when you commit yourself to Jesus... So if you are a Christian or if you ever become a Christian, that when you commit yourself to Jesus... Jesus sends, actually God the Father sends, with Jesus' permission, the Holy Spirit into your life. And part of what the Holy Spirit does in your life is He helps you through the most difficult times in life. So Romans chapter 8. Romans was originally a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul, one of the early Christian leaders, and he wrote it to a church family. Any guesses where the church family was? Rome, very good. The city of Rome, the ancient city of Rome. That's where the name Romans came from. Now, being a Christian in the Roman Empire was not easy. It was especially difficult if you lived in the capital city. Christians within the empire, but certainly within the capital, were regularly persecuted because of their faith. And so part of what Paul is trying to address in this part of the letter is that same question. How will we get through this? Paul begins by saying, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, that's a bold way to start a passage. 
But why does he start this way? He wants to reframe the question. Our question is, how will we get through this? But Paul starts by saying, there's another question here. And part of that other question is, what's happening right now is not the final chapter. Before we answer the how will we get through this question, let's remember that what's happening right now is not the final chapter. So Paul is saying if you compare the suffering we're going through, if you compare the trials, if you compare the hard times that you and I are experiencing now with what's to come, with the future that God has for you, with how God is going to redeem this, with how God is going to turn this situation and use it as an opportunity to show His goodness, ultimately compare it to what it will be like to live eternally in God's presence, in His glorious and majestic presence. When you compare those two things, you will realize they are not comparable. So he starts off by just stating that that our present suffering isn't even worth comparing with the future that's coming and the glory that will be revealed, that God will reveal. Then he moves into this extended discussion of groaning. Now, groaning is something very common at this point in the sermon generally, but this week it's actually in the Bible. Groaning. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So right now, Paul says, we are in the midst of suffering, but we know that good is coming. Good is always coming. By God's grace, something far better, not even comparable to this suffering, is coming our way. So there is a disconnect. There is a gap. There is a gap between our current reality and this great future that God has promised to us. And what fills the gap, according to Paul, is groaning. We feel the disconnect between our present and God's future, and we groan. We feel the weight of how far our world has fallen from what God intended, and we groan. We turn on the news, and we groan. We look at the condition of that relationship, and we groan. We think about where we thought we'd be in life right now, and we groan. We think about Christians around the world who are, some of them, killed for their faith, and we groan. Paul goes so far as to say, actually, all of creation is groaning. Creation feels the disconnect. Creation longs to be made new by God. Now, you remember verse 23, which says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Paul introduces this analogy of adoption, translated here, adoption to sonship. This refers to the Roman practice of that day and time, especially in the city of Rome itself, where a wealthy couple would adopt a son so that they had an heir, an H-E-I-R, an heir. 
So we wait to be adopted by God as heirs to all that He has done and all that He has accomplished on our behalf. Now, if you look other places in the Bible, it's also clear that when you follow Jesus, you become God's son or God's daughter by faith. So, how can a Christian be God's son or daughter and be waiting for their adoption into God's family at the same time? That may not bother you, but as as someone who got a master's degree in this, I need to resolve this. Well, think about it this way. What's typically the last step of the adoption? Even after the adoption is finalized, what's typically the last step? You have to come get the kids and take them home. So that's what Paul is getting at. The adoption is finalized. Through Christ, the adoption is finalized. If you follow Jesus, or if you ever follow Jesus, you are God's son. You are God's daughter by faith. The adoption is finalized. Jesus signed in his own blood to bring you into God's family. We're just waiting for the last step. We are waiting for God to come get us and take us home. To make us new just as He will make creation new as we live eternally in God's presence, enjoying as heirs the benefits of all that He has done and accomplished on our behalf. So we wait. We're waiting. We're waiting for Him to come get us and take us home. We wait patiently for this amazing future, but when we feel the weight of the world, when we feel the gap between where we are now and the amazing future that God has for us, the Scripture says we groan. We want God's plan to hurry up. We want God's work to hurry up. We kind of see where it's going, and now we need it to hurry up a little bit. I need it by yesterday, God, we might say. Have you, I mean, have you ever felt that way? I want God's work to hurry up. I want God's plan to hurry up a little bit. I think most people have felt that way. So at this point, you are probably asking, now wait, I thought this was a sermon about the Holy Spirit. Ah, yes, thank you, the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So in the midst of the gap, the midst of the disconnect, creation is groaning, you and I are groaning, and then the Bible says that God the Holy Spirit is groaning. But that in fact the Holy Spirit's groans are intercessions on our behalf. The Holy Spirit's groans are prayers on our behalf. When, you get to the, in, when you're in that point, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a hard time in life, and you don't even know what to pray for, you don't even know what to say to God, all you can do is groan, in that moment the Holy Spirit starts to pray for you. We sort of need that to sink in a little bit. In the toughest times in your life, the Holy Spirit is praying for for you. Because we live in the American Southeast. And in the American Southeast, it is not uncommon for you're going through something hard, somebody will come up to you and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Now, I've lived in the American Southeast my whole life, and I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Sometimes they are, and sometimes they aren't. 
Because some people in the American Southeast kind of have this God chart in their head, and they're trying to get stickers on it. Here's the good news. When you're going through a hard time in life, a difficult situation, something you're not sure how you're going to make it through, people may come up to you and say, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And they may be and they may not be. But God, the Holy Spirit, would come up to you and say, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Now, I love praying for you. Our prayer team that prays for the services and then offers prayer after the service, they love praying for you. Our elders, when you write down a prayer request, they love praying for you. But all this is just like, it's a preview of the main attraction. It's a, it's a taste of the, the real thing, which is that God the Holy Spirit loves praying for you. And in the hardest times in your life, God the Holy Spirit prays for you, and it gets better. Verse 27 says, He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people, here's the important phrase, in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So God has this great plan. God is working everything together for the good of His children, for those who love Him. That does not mean that everything is good. Everything is not good. But God is working everything together for good, so that even in the midst of struggles, even in the midst of suffering that we presently endure, God is going to bring something good, something redemptive. And in the midst of our suffering, the Holy Spirit prays for us. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, prays for us. But the important line is, in accordance with with the will of God. That the Spirit, as God, knows God's will. Now, you and I can bang our head against the wall trying to understand God's will, but the Spirit, as God, understands God's will, and so He prays for us in ways that line up with what God is already planning to do. He prays for us better than we know how to pray for ourselves. I mean, because I don't know about you, but I pray for all kinds of crazy things. I pray like that I'll win the lottery. Like I pray for all my problems to go away. I don't exactly use those words, but if you kind of trace out what I'm asking for, I'm kind of asking for all my problems to go away. Now, as best you understand how God operates, does it seem like those are going to be realities for me on this earth? No. Still got problems. One of them is that I have not won the lottery. Now, the Spirit does not have this problem because the Holy Spirit, with a mere groan, prays for our deepest needs and does so in a way that lines up with God's plan for us and lines up with God's plan for the world. In other words, you do not walk alone. Even if you are the only person who knows the burdens that you are carrying, you do not walk alone because someone with a capital S, someone is praying for you. Someone with a capital S is praying for you better than you know how to pray for yourself. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say someone with a capital S is praying the best possible thing that could be prayed for you. 
all of this relates to what Jesus said right before to his disciples right before his crucifixion. You've been good. I'm going to do the John 14 now. Jesus taught this to his disciples. This is right before his crucifixion. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You want to talk about a time of suffering, a moment about how are we going to get through this? Jesus is about to be killed. He's about to be crucified. The disciples' faith is about to be stretched to its breaking point. And so what Jesus says to them is that he tells them they will not be alone. He's going to send them another advocate. And the Greek word there for advocate is the word parakletos. Now, you probably already knew that, but for the one or two who didn't, the Greek word there is parakletos. I need to interrupt here. I told the last service this. I feel obligated to tell you uh, that my community group, we do Bible studies on the first and third Tuesdays, and then if there's a fifth Tuesday, we go do something fun. So, and Bible study is fun too, of course. <laughs> but we went, and, uh, we went and played trivia on Tuesday night, and the bonus round category was Latin words. If those bullies could see me now, you know, <laughs> we tore that thing up. So anyway, the Greek word for advocate is parakletos, and it has kind of two ranges of meaning. It could either mean like a helper or a comforter, or it could mean a, an advocate, a counselor. It has two different ranges of meaning, but it, it's held together in one word. But, but parakletos literally means the one who comes alongside. So Jesus says, I'm going to send you another parakletos, someone who comes alongside. This is the Holy Spirit. He comes alongside, and you can lean on Him. That's a helper or a comforter. But the other meaning is He comes alongside, and He pleads your case like a, an attorney, an, uh, an uh, advocate, a counselor at law. Now, Dr. Budd looked at a few weeks ago how the Holy Spirit is also God's advocate to us, that the, that the Spirit pleads God's case to our hearts, that the Spirit tries to convict us to show us God's way and say, walk in God's way, grow closer to God. And this shows us that the Spirit also advocates the other way, that he also advocates to God on our behalf. So Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to send you another advocate, another parakletos. It's interesting that he says another. He, he's explaining to the disciples that the Holy Spirit is the same essence as he is. It's one God. So the Spirit is the same substance as Jesus is, and He's going to continue the work of Jesus, another advocate, another parakletos. And then Jesus says these words to His followers then and His followers now, all of His future followers. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. So he says, peace I leave with you, peace I give you, but what does he just promise to leave with them? The Holy Spirit. So let's put all that together. 
Jesus Christ promises His followers He will not abandon us. Instead, He's giving us a gift. And Jesus' name, with Jesus' permission, God the Father sends the Holy Spirit into the life of every person who follows Jesus. So that in the hard times, in the hard moments, the moments of groaning, when we are suffering, the Holy Spirit is our parakletos, is our comforter and our advocate. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us. Jesus summarizes by saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. So Romans wanted us to have hope in the midst of suffering. Now this is making clear that Jesus wants us to know that you and I can have peace in the midst of suffering. But this peace that we can have is not a theory. This peace we can have is not a process. It's not an ideology. It's not a formula. The peace that we can have is found in God the Holy Spirit. The peace that we can have is found in God, the Holy Spirit, who comes alongside us in our times of trouble, who advocates to God for what we need, who prays for us better than we know how to pray for ourselves, who comforts us when we mourn, who surrounds us in our suffering and allows us to find true rest. The peace is not a feeling. The peace is not an emotion. This is a deep sense of peace that as you wait with hope for God to come take His children home, This is a deep sense of peace as you watch God work all things together for the good of His children. This is a deep sense of peace even when you groan. This is a deep sense of peace even when it takes courage to proclaim, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Sometimes it is really easy to say that Bible verse. Typically, it's when your present sufferings are not really all that bad. But there are also times when it takes courage to say that verse because your immediate situation doesn't bear it out. And in those moments when you can truly say with courage that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, I hope you might also add in there, thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit. who is coming alongside me in the midst of these present sufferings. So here's my closing question. Romans 8.26 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. What significance does that verse have in your life? What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, I know at least one thing. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. What significance does this verse have in your life? I mean, sometimes you do get to that point where you, how how did we get through that? How will we get through that? And the Bible has this very interesting answer, which is, you may not have gotten through it as much as you thought. I mean, you got through it, but maybe the reason you got through it is you you didn't drive very much. Maybe you moved over to the passenger seat and let somebody else drive. Maybe you almost by force had to be moved over to the passenger seat and let somebody else drive. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit comes alongside us in our weakness. 
It's a hard thing in a very performance-driven culture to admit that everything isn't going great. If you can ever admit everything's not going great, you have a friend in Jesus. Because Jesus wants to send the Spirit into the life of every one of His followers. He does, in fact, send the Spirit into the life of every one of His followers so that you have help in your weakness. And in your weakness, the strength of God becomes more plainly seen. So I pray that as you walk through the hard times in life, whether now or in the future, that you can do so with a deep sense of peace, not a peace you drum up on your own, but a peace that comes from knowing that God the Holy Spirit is with you, is alongside you, is helping you in your weakness. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, in this moment, we usually take this time to pray, to talk to you about whatever's going on, whatever you're stirring in our hearts and our minds. And you can feel free to do that. Feel free to talk with God about whatever He's stirring inside of you. But if you're at that place today where you don't even know what to pray for, you don't even know what to ask God for, you may just sit quietly and rest in the fact that the Spirit is praying for you. Lord, truly, for some of us, that may be our takeaway, that we need to do less driving, that we need to move over into the passenger seat and invite you, Christ, to come take control of our lives. We'll be here to help, we'll be here to learn, we'll be here to grow and change. But we need you to be in control. We need you to be the ruler against we, which we measure. We, we need you to be the teacher. We'll be the student. Lord, we face an uncertain future. And so we rest in the fact that you hold the future. And you are willing to walk alongside us every step of the way. So I pray for our congregation that we can find a deep sense of rest in 
and taking the weight of the world off our shoulders and instead find our identity in You. Give us the peace that we need in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.